Now, what is salvation? You know, I'm afraid way too many Christians don't either. They don't grasp it. They don't understand it. They don't get the concept of what real salvation is. Real salvation is simply total transformation. God has no interest in spending eternity with a pack of losers or a pack of rebels. We're talking about total transformation. You know, the idea that I can get myself saved without any transformation at all is just insanity, absolute insanity, because it defies what God is really after, what the Bible says that the that God is after from Genesis to Revelation, what God is after is total transformation. Uh, a people who at one time who were not a people who become a people of God transformed into the image of God. It's, and I'm talking specifically about the character of a man where your character is transformed to what you are now with the conversion process, you're going to end up being something totally different on the other side. In other words, there's a monster inside of us, and all you have to do, there's a potential monster inside of us, and all you have to do is just feed that monster the wrong kind of stuff, and you will become a full-blown monster. So when I talk about transformation, I'm talking about, okay, at at one time you were a murderer, and no longer are you going to be a murderer. At one time you were a womanizer. And no longer are you going to be a womanizer. At one time, you were a homosexual. And no longer are you going to be a homosexual. At one time, you were you uh, committed adultery. And no longer are you going to do that. This, this is what I mean by total transformation. This is what God is after. Now, another thing that we are saved from, what is real salvation, is Romans 6 and verse 15. It says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace, God forbid? Uh, well, you know, to be no longer under the law, you see, the law claims your life. When you sin, it claims your life. You deserve the death penalty when you sin. And so the law no longer claims, when we talk about real salvation here, what is salvation? Okay, you're saved from the penalty of the law because when you break the law, it claims your life. So that's one of the things that we're saved from. That is the penalty, the wages of sin is death. We're saved from the penalty of the law. The law no longer claims your life when you break it because there is grace. Another thing God saves us from is the death penalty of the second death. Now, there are actually two deaths. There's the first death. Your physical body is going to die. Because of the results of our sins, you are going to die that first death. It is appointed unto all men to die once. So that's going to occur. But what God saves us from is the penalty of the second death. The second death is where there is no more you, total destruction. It is the end of you. So that's what we're saved from when we talk about real salvation. Another thing that we're saved from, and a lot of people overlook, is this. It's found in Acts 2 and verse 40. It says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. The words there, untoward generation, means crooked and perverse. You live in a sick world. And one of the things that you've got to be saved from is the ways of the world. You've got to, as Revelation 18 and verse 4 says, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. 
And this is easy easy to overlook because so many Christians are in the world and they're very much there's not a lot of difference between Christians and non-Christians. They're all a part of the world. Now I'm not saying you got to become a hermit and move up on the top of a mountain or something like that. I'm just saying you've got to identify the fact that this world's entertainment, this world's even religion, this world's uh, government is totally corrupted. It is a crooked and perverse world. And so Peter says, save yourself. We've got to be saved from this world, and yet we're living in the world. Yes, we're living in the world. But you cannot be just a part of this society, a part of this world's entertainment, a part of this world's, you know, everything about this world, and still call yourself a Christian. You've got to be saved from the ways of the world, which are downright sinful. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Now, when it comes to the subject of real salvation, we have to understand that God is really not interested, as I said before, it's more to it than just, you know, giving you eternal life. God doesn't want to spend eternity with a pack of losers. And so there is something about the heart that must change. There's something about your heart that must change. And there is a revealer in the Bible there's something in the Bible that reveals your heart. There's an attitude. There's a, there's, there's a certain thing about you that will reveal your heart. Now, let's take a look at uh, a scripture in Hebrews 5 and verse 9, speaking of Jesus. And it says, in being made perfect, he, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, Notice that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. No, it doesn't say that he became the author of, a, of eternal salvation unto all them that say, I love you, Jesus, who raise their hands in a, some type of service and, and give their heart to the Lord or anything like that. No, it says Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, we understand obedience is not what saves us. It is grace that saves us, but obedience reveals where your heart is at. This is not rocket scientists, rocket science. Obedience reveals where your heart is at. And so we have to come to this issue that, yes, God expects you to obey him. That when you come up against something in the Word of God, and the Word of God says, do this, and you're not willing to do it, well, that reveals where your heart is at. That It's a revealer of the heart. The law of God is a revealer of what where your heart is at. What is salvation? What is real salvation? You know, I was watching a movie one time. It was a, <clears throat> a Catholic priest that, well, actually, it was a woman first who had gotten hit by a automobile. She was lying in the street dying. And she called for a Catholic priest to come by and to save her, to say some to say some kind of special prayer over her as she was about to expire. Now, it really got me thinking, 
Where at in the Bible would you find an example of this? Now, maybe the thief on the cross, uh, but, you know, that was an exception. That's not the normal way things are. I mean, it's not the normal way that God expects it to be. I mean, you know, where at did Jesus say, live your life for yourself, and then when you're old and ugly and your body is falling apart, go out and get you some religion. Go call a preacher and get him to save you as you're about to expire. No, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, when we talk about the concept of being saints, you know, God doesn't intend to spend eternity with a pack of losers. And the process of becoming saints is just that. I mean, just because you go down in the waters of baptism doesn't mean you come up out of the water a saint. No, it takes time to develop godly character. And this is what God is after. So the concept of, well, I, I, I need to go get somebody to say, I need to get a minister to say a few words over me, deathbed repentance, you know, I just don't see that. I, you know, if someone came to me and, you know, in that condition, I don't know for sure what I would tell them. Well, in a way, I, I do. It, it's, it's in this message that I'm going to talk about today, and that is just what is salvation. So what are we to do? What are we to do? How to, what is real salvation? Well, first of all, Acts 3 and verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now notice what it says there. It says, first of all, to repent. We are to repent of something. What are we to repent of? Well, we're to repent of breaking God's law. Now, why should we, we repent of breaking God's law? Well, because 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression of God's law. In other words, if you want to know what sin is, there's your answer, 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the breaking of God's law. The law defines, the law, it's sort of like, you know, a speeding sign that says drive 55, or a speed sign that says drive 55, or a sign that says stop, okay, at an intersection. Why is that law there? Well, it's for your own good. It's so that people don't get killed crossing that intersection of road. So we talk about, all right, what is sin? Well, sin is the breaking of God's law. Now, this verse tells us that we are to, in Acts 3 and verse 19, to repent of breaking God's law and be converted. You know, it's not enough just to say, I'm sorry. It's not enough. This verse says we are to be converted, which really means to make a U-turn, to turn around, and obviously you're going to go from disobedience unto obedience to God's law. That's the purpose of the conversion, the converting, changing your will to the will of God, lining up your will with the will of God is what we're talking about here. Now, so, okay, what do we we repent of? Well, we, we repent of breaking God's law. So let's take a look at this. Exodus 20 and verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, now how have I broken that law? How have you broken this first commandment here? Not to have any other gods before me. Well, the bottom line is this. You are the God of your life. The God that you have placed in front of all others is yourself. I mean, that's, that's the 
probably number one, I think it's the reason it comes number one, is because it's the most common sin of all. It's what causes all the other sins, actually, all the other breaking of God's law. This first one, and that is the God that we have set up is the God of self. And that's the first, you know, issue you got to deal with is the God of self. You are your own God, and that's the way we sort of live our lives. And so we got to repent of being the God of our lives. Number two, you shall not have any uh, graven images. That's basically no idols. Now, an idol can be many things. An idol can be a job. It can be a person. It can be a husband. It can be a wife. It can be your home. It can be a car. It can be you know, the idol of sexual idolatry. It can be an addiction that you have. You know, an idol can be anything that you place before God. And so we are to repent of breaking the second commandment. The third commandment, you shall not take the Lord name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, you know, the most common way that you hear this is people taking God's name and using a curse word behind it. Now, if you do that, you are sinning. You are taking God's name in vain when you do that. Of course, I sometimes think the clergy are the ones who are most guilty of taking God's name because they claim to be men of God, and then they teach something. They teach a false theology. They teach that the law has been abolished, has been nailed to the cross, has been done away with. And so I think the clergy are the ones most guilty of taking God's name in vain. But anyway, you are to, that name is holy, and you are to have high, very high esteem of that name, and don't use it in your vain, everyday conversation. Fourth commandment, remember, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath. So the Sabbath day is uh, Saturday, the seventh day of the week, you're not to do, you are to rest. You are to disconnect yourself. You see, there's a way you connect with God on the Sabbath day. But the way you got to do it is you got to stop. You got to unplug yourself from this busy, workaholic world, just like an overloaded receptacle where people have 20 things plugged into one receptacle. You've got to just unplug it all and take a break to disconnect from the world in order to connect with God. The Sabbath is about a day of the the day of connectivity. And if you're not keeping the Sabbath, if you're not stopping, if you're not quitting stopping your work and keeping God's Sabbath, you you are sinning by not doing that. Now, I know people don't want to hear that, but it's the absolute truth. The Sabbath is the fourth commandment. Next commandment, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord gives you. Now, this is the first commandment of promise. The promise is if you do this, if you honor your father and mother, your days, you're going to live long on the land. Well, that's quite a blessing. Now, honoring your father and mother, <clears throat> I found in my personal life, was easier when I was young. As my parents got older, my mother eventually, before she passed away, she basically lost her mind. I don't know if it was dementia or some type of Alzheimer's or whatever, but uh, I found out it was it was during that stage where it was very difficult to honor your father, honor, honor your mother, because it was such a, oh man, I don't have words to even explain it. When you, you know, you work all day and you're trying to stay with your mother and she doesn't sleep at night. And so, it was one of the most stressing times I have ever ever had in my life. And for all the children, there's three of us. But, yeah, it was a terrible time. But it, it, was, 
it was what I learned is it's it's sort of easy to honor your father and mother when they're healthy, but it's tougher when they get sick. But honor your father and mother. All right, the next commandment, thou shall not kill. All right. Now, Jesus comes along and says, now, if you have anger in your heart toward your brother, you are guilty of killing them or murdering them. If you have anger, in other words, if you lie awake and you think about the people that you hate, you think about the people you want to get even with, you think about, I hate that so-and-so, that so-and-so did me wrong, you are guilty of breaking this command. Thou shall not kill, because it starts in the mind. And Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother without a cause, you know, and even if there is a cause, you know, you don't think about all the things that, you know, the, how you hate this person. I don't get mad. I get even. No, you're supposed to let it go. And you're supposed to let it go for your own sakes because it will drive you crazy. It will tear you apart if you have this bitter anger in your heart toward another person. Just let it go. But what I'm saying is when you have anger, you are sinning against God. You're breaking one, one of the Ten Commandments. Next one, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, well, Jesus said if you undress a woman in your mind, you are guilty of committing adultery. Now, maybe you've never literally committed adultery. You never cheated on your wife. But you, if you've undressed a woman in your mind, sexual fantasy, pornography, if you're looking at pornography, you are sinning. And, you know, it's just, it's, it, this is what, you know, we're breaking God's law when we do these things. Because sin starts in the mind. The actions don't take place first. First, what happens is it starts in the mind. And, of course, Jesus lifted the law to its spiritual level and said, oh, oh yeah, you think you're something because you've never committed adultery. You've never killed anyone. But I say that if you have anger in your heart toward another person, but I say if you uh, have lusted after another woman besides your wife, you are guilty of sinning. Exodus 20 and verse 15, thou shalt not steal. You know, when you take something that is not yours, you are stealing. I actually think that when you take something that you have not earned, it is a type of stealing that you know, I, I really have a problem with this, that when you give someone something, you give someone $100 for doing nothing, you're actually causing that person to be a thief in that they haven't earned it. You know, it, they're taking something they have not earned. They're taking something. It's a, it's a type of stealing. Okay, next one. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You're supposed to tell the truth. You're supposed to speak the truth. <clears throat> Next one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's uh, wife. There again, you're not supposed to covet. Want to take something that's not yours. But, you know, when I look at these commandments, you know, they may be on the spiritual level. Yes, they are tough to keep. But, you know, really when you think about it, is this too hard for you? Is, is it too hard not to kill? Is it too hard not to commit adultery? Is it too hard not to steal? But I'm saying these commandments are not beyond our ability to keep they're just not now there's a there's a verse in luke 1 and verse 6 tells us about a couple of people here uh zacharias and elizabeth it says and it says this concerning those two people it says and they were both righteous before god walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the lord blameless you know, sometimes we think, okay, obedience is impossible. 
obedience to God's law, you know, it cannot be achieved. Well, the very purpose of you receiving the Spirit of God is so that God can write his laws into your heart and mind. The Spirit of God is something that you receive at baptism upon the laying on of hands, but the purpose for this Spirit is so that the conversion process can take place. And here we're reading of two people in the Bible, Elizabeth and Zacharias, where it says they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Don't ever let some pea-brained, you know, preacher or whoever it is tell you that it is impossible to keep the law of God because it's just simply not true. Yeah, it's impossible without the Spirit of God. I admit it's it's impossible without the Spirit of God. You will never quit that addiction. You You will never quit that porn addiction or whatever it may be without the Spirit of God. But with the Spirit of God, we're talking about transformation. We're talking about being able to please God. Because if you can't please God, then what's it all about? What, what, what good is any of it if we can't please God somehow, some way? And here we see two people who were doing just this. They were pleasing. They were blameless walking in all the ways of the Lord. That's a powerful concept, a powerful concept. Now, here's the thing to understand about God's law. The world that we all want, this is how the world that we all want could be created by obedience to God's law. You know, take any one of these laws, if, it, if, if America kept any one of these laws, the incredible impact, the money that would be saved just by, you know, for example, the Seventh Commandment, no divorce lawyers, no no, uh, you know, healthy, uh, healthy, happy, functional children could be, you know, just the family system would be beautiful just by keeping one of the Ten Commandments. But if you kept all of the Ten Commandments, this is the perfect world that we're all looking for. And we create that perfect world by obedience to God's law. Now, obedience to God's law can only occur if you have the Spirit of God that enables that obedience, which is a critical point. But here's we're all in this together. We are a community of people. I'm depending on you to be obedient to God's law. I'm depending on my neighbor. I don't want my neighbor hitting on my wife. I don't want my neighbor stealing my stuff. I don't, you know, so we we have to wrap our minds around okay, if we want this perfect society, if we if we want this perfect world, this is how it's created by obedience to God's law, the 10 commandments. I think the subject of brokenness is is critical when it comes to salvation, that a person must come to a point where they are broken. I think it's different depending on gender, <clears throat> how to describe this as far as being brought to a point of brokenness. I don't think it necessarily has to be some huge monumental thing where you went out and maybe killed somebody or something like that. I'm not, not saying that, but you know, the things that break one person, uh, it may take something totally different to break another person. But that's one of the things that you want to look for in your life when it comes to, to salvation is, has God led you to a point of brokenness? My sister used to talk about when she would, you know, Murphy's Law, uh, if anything can go wrong, it will. And so in planning her day, she would often 
whatever she was doing, considering Murphy's Law, that if anything, if she had this project going on, you know, if anything could go wrong, it would. So she always liked to say that she had plan A, B, C, that if one thing failed, she could drop back to plan B. If that failed, she could drop back to plan C. And it's a good way to, you know, to plan things because you, I can almost guarantee you that even when you plan out everything in your mind first, things can happen. You know, stuff happens. Things can go wrong. But when I talk about coming to a point of brokenness, it really is you have exhausted all of your answers. You've, you've exhausted plan A, B, C. You've gone all the way through, you know, a Z and you still don't have a solution. In other words, you come to the end of yourself. You come to the end of your rope, and you don't have any more answers. You don't have any more solutions. You've quit trying, which is a critical point about brokenness, and you surrender to God in unconditional surrender. And you say, God, I'm sick of trying this. Uh, Everything I'm trying to do doesn't work. I surrender all. This is critical when it comes to the subject of salvation. This is a must when it comes to this issue of salvation. Now, when you come to this point, and, you know, I'm saying most people, probably a lot of Christians have never come to this point because we've been lied to about the Bible. We've been deceived. We've been, we have been made to believe that salvation is the easiest thing in the world to do. It's easier than sliding down a greased fireman's pole. You know, you just, it's it's that easy. It's the easiest thing you will ever do. And that's what we have been sold as a nation, as a religious people, that salvation is nothing more than acceptance. It's nothing more than raising your hand in a church and saying, yes, I invite Jesus into my heart. It's nothing more than saying a sinner's prayer. You know, if you're on your deathbed, you get this preacher to come by and he says a few words over you, and you say, yeah, I, I, I want to live forever. Well, but yeah, I, I, I suppose you do. I, I, I can imagine when you've got tubes running out of your body and you're dying and the doctors have given you uh, one week to live, uh, yeah, I imagine you do want to live again. Um, tell me something I don't know. But none of this is real salvation. It's not real salvation. What I'm talking about is real salvation. And coming to that point of brokenness and unconditional surrender to God. Now, once you do that, the next step is Acts 2 and verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? This group of people here had been brought to that point of brokenness. They, had, they were actually guilty of crucifying the very Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so they had come to the end of the rope, and they said, What shall we do? What can we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift of the Holy Spirit is the power to make your life work. It's the power to transform your life. doesn't happen overnight. doesn't happen overnight. But you, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. It is a critical issue to understand you need the Spirit of God and that you're not born with the Spirit of God. And just because you think you're religious doesn't mean you have, does not mean you have the Holy Spirit of God. There is a way to receive the Spirit of God. So what I'm talking about is real salvation. 
Is it possible to change the man or the woman in the mirror? And if so, how? Are we simply victims of our past behaviors with no way out of our sins and addictions? Jesus told a woman to go and sin no more. This is real change. No longer a slave to sin. But how is this possible? You were created incomplete, lacking the necessary drive and desire that would cause you to do the right thing. The bottom line is this. You need a second spirit. Man's real problems are spiritual in nature, and the natural man simply cannot solve spiritual problems. How can we know what is right, and how can we have the desire and power to choose what is right? Real change is possible, and the ability to please God is possible, but it is only possible by receiving God's spiritual DNA. Order your free booklet entitled, How You Can Change and Please God. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at is that really in the Bible dot net?